What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 12 of the Set the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Ben Todd, and on today's show, I have a very special guest for you guys. This is my first one-on-one interview that I've done here on Set the Bar, and I think you guys will love this episode. My guest today is a physical therapist and a business owner, and I've known him now for several years. He's become a good friend of mine. Um, so much wisdom to pass on, so much great content in this episode. I really think you guys are going to learn a lot. I know that I did personally, and so I hope that you guys find as much value in it as I have. So with that, let's get into it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Set the Bar. I'm Ben. I'm your host. And today, I have a special guest with me. Um, This is the first interview, one-on-one interview I've done here on Set the Bar, And this has been a conversation that I've actually wanted to have for quite some time. Um, The guy sitting in front of me is uh, is a good friend of mine, um, and he's more of a mentor to me than he thinks that he is, even though he's only a couple years older than I am. Um, So my guest today is a PhD and a physical therapist. Um, He is residency and fellowship trained with multiple publications on exercise performance and low back pain. Uh, he is also an entrepreneur who owns three different businesses, Rise Gym slash Rise Barbell, which is actually where we're um, recording this from, uh, HIRT, which is a physical therapy and consultation business, and his new venture of fitness business solutions. Uh, with that, please welcome Dr. Sean Harris. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited we can finally uh, get this going. It's been <clears throat> it's interesting because, yeah, it's hard to believe I was just looking on here like June of 2020, which we're coming up on three years of uh, knowing each other, which is kind of hard to believe. But. I know. And and I feel like in the last three years, so much has happened. And, and we'll get into that in a second with, you know, yourself and kind of where your personal and professional growth has come and, and gone. But um, it's been a pretty crazy three years. Yeah. I, to be honest, uh, you know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and there's almost every aspect of my life has changed in the last three years. Like we had because right before the pandemic, we had uh, our, our daughter was born. So it's like went through becoming a parent and then you have all the COVID pandemic stuff. And then shortly, like Sammy was about three and a half months old when we started the gym. And then now at this point, now that I'm, I'm completely away from, I don't, I don't work for the hospital system anymore. It's like I'm fully in the entrepreneurial thing. And um, yeah, so much has changed. It's crazy. So I've just been trying to, I guess, embrace the change as much as possible, which is a a, a hard wave to ride sometimes. Well, and I think you've just from just an outside perspective, I think you've done pretty well just kind of seeing how you've grown and, and how you've been able to adapt and, and kind of mold and, and the, what you've built here and not just the gym, but just in, in your other business ventures. I mean, I'd say it's pretty impressive what you've been able to do. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's been stressful and busy and crazy, but you know, I feel like you're going to be stressed out about something no matter what. So might as well make it productive, right? <laughs> and be something that you enjoy <laughs> yeah, doing. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you kind of just alluded to it before we get started here. Um, I want to go back to something you just said. So you recently quit your full-time job. You were a full-time physical therapist, uh, mm-hmm. inpatient physical therapist from Memorial Hermann hospital. Yep. Um, and you started working for yourself mm-hmm. on, on your entrepreneurial ventures. I wanted to ask what has that transition been like for you and, and how are you feeling since you've kind of started doing that? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I was with Memorial Herman for, oh gosh, over eight years. So I started there as uh, actually a graduate research assistant when I was still in graduate school. Uh, I was working on an endurance athlete study. So I was basically just a, a grunt. So like they, t- I would enter data, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I did an internship there 
mainly because I met someone, uh, someone did a guest lecture for, uh, in graduate school. And I remember listening to her and being like, wow, this lady, she's got all of her stuff together. She is really a great clinician. And I want to be just like her. And I, I literally met with her and I said, how can I be like you in five years? And, uh, she told me. <laughs> and, uh, but basically I've just been following her my whole career. So I started, I did residency through Memorial Hermann. Um, I did my, uh, fellowship while I was there. I worked there at several different roles all the way up from just, you know, a resident to a staff PT to, uh, uh, a site coordinator, which is basically the person that, um, manages the resident at each of our locations. And then all the way up until my last role was a, a spine research manager. So, uh, overseeing our, we have a spine program, um, it's kind of a uh, collective of multiple physicians, multiple sites, different types of surgeons, and tracking uh, spine outcome databases. So uh, over the over their period of care. And so, so is that more research based? All than, re, yeah, okay. research. So yeah. So the last year that I've been there, really, I've only been inpatient care about ten hours a week, and then the rest of the time has been all research, administrative, teaching, those kinds of things. Um, so the biggest and. and the last two and a half or three years, you know, I've been doing the gym as well. So I always knew that at some point, you know, I, I think that I, I realized very quickly in big hospital system that there's just so much administrative bloat. Um, making decisions is very hard because there isn't one singular person that can say yes. It's a thousand people that all have to agree. Um, you know, it's it's a tough, it's a big, big ship. And so it turns very slowly. And so for somebody like me, who's got a lot of, I have a lot of things that I want to do. Um, sometimes, you know, one week I want to do this and another week I want to do that. And I want to be able to have the flexibility to kind of focus on what I want to. So I always knew kind of long-term that, that it wasn't going to be forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wasn't anticipating one, the gym to do as well as it did so quickly and for, you know, other opportunities to come around. So, um, yeah, the transition has been great <laughs> to be honest, like <laughs> only working one job, right? Like not trying to do both, um, and having the flexibility, you know, literally I wake up on really all my days are kind of the same, like Monday through Sunday, I'm going to come up here to the gym at some point, do some administrative work and then work on other projects. So it just kind of depends. Um, it's been great though. I mean, I've, got to go collaborate with some other, some other gym owners. Like I went down and visited uh, red zone and I went to a couple other places just to like talk to the people and just see what, you know, th- things they're doing well, what things we can improve upon. Um, still haven't gone down to alpha land yet. So that's a, I need to get down there just to check it out. I think yeah. it's worth going. It's, it's worth going yeah. for sure. So, yeah, so it's been great. Um, very, very, very different. And obviously the pressures of not having a salary and benefits and, sure. and all that has been, has been challenging, but, um, but it's been good. Just mostly just missed the people got, had a, obviously built a lot of really good relationships over there. Um, so it's funny cause even in conversation, I'll still say, Oh, like, Oh yeah, we did this and we did that. I'm like, Oh wait, wait, it's not me anymore. It's not, or it's not we anymore. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> but it sounds like, you know, just kind of talking to you, it sounds like you're really kind of happy and fulfilled in, in this new venture. And, and although, you know, you had some great experiences, at the hospital and, you know, you probably built a pretty good reputation over there. And obviously you were able to really, um, solidify your, your physical therapy career, um, in that role. I think now that you've kind of moved on to you know, greener pastures, um, I think it's going to be a lot easier for you, especially, you know, you got a family now you got, you know, a wife, you got two kids. Um, and so to juggle the family life with the full-time job at the hospital, 
coming up here to the gym, you know, dealing with, you know, things that go awry here at the Car, gym. Cars going cars, cars that, that go through windows. We just had a situation <laughs> earlier this week where yeah. somebody decided to drive through the, uh, through the gym, uh, the yeah. gym window. So this week was, a was a crazy week. But. So, so dealing, like having, putting all of that into perspective, it's probably easier for you and more manageable for you to, um, to do it this way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, just having the flexibility, like, you know, even the other day <clears throat> I had plans, I was going to come to the gym and do X, Y, Z. And my wife uh, just wasn't feeling super well. And I was able to like, okay, I'll just stay home for the first couple hours and no big deal. Right. So I think, um, that flexibility is great. Um, and you know, I've, like I said, the, the hardest part for me is trying to focus on only a couple things that I really want to do and not just like kind of going too crazy with it. So, um, I've really been trying to force myself the last three weeks to just take it slow. Like sure. time with time, I'll have time to get some of this stuff done. I don't have to get everything done right now. Um, so I've been really trying to stay on top of myself to just enjoy, you know, having flexibility to work out when I want to, to go, I've been doing uh, jujitsu, like just to do other things that are for me. Um, so it's been good. I, I've really enjoyed it. I, uh, it still feels kind of weird, like almost like a summer break, you know, like when you're mm-hmm. in college or something, you're like go on summer break and then it's like, Oh, at some point it's going to end. But right. yeah, it's, I guess this is forever now. So, so, so walk me back through something we just talked about. So when I first met you, it's June of 2020, right? Yep. Um, Matt Curry, our good friend, he introduced us. Um, I was working with Matt at the time when he was coaching me. Um, it's the middle of the pandemic world's in chaos. People are going nuts. Uh, future is uncertain, future's up in the air. You decide to open a gym. <laughs> yeah. And now we're almost at the three year mark of the gym being open. Um, what, June? June will be three years? Yeah. Um, so we're coming up on that. Um, and now at this time, Rise Gym slash Rise Barbell um, is like a really popular gym here in Houston. I, I think it's growing. I, I know your membership is growing pretty consistently. Last time I talked to Ricky. Yep. Um, and you already have expand, plans to expand Rise Barbell from its current location to a new location. Yep. Um, walk me through the thought process of launching a business, <laughs> especially launching a gym yeah. during the middle of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. So to be honest, like it was a, the opportunity. So like to summarize the whole story, you know, I want you to picture kind of what you just said, like said at the time we're in the pandemic, I have a three month old and Memorial Herman had just cut everyone's salary by 20% because they had just put a hold on elective surgeries. And Mm so for, for those of you guys who don't know, you know, a big portion of physical therapy, uh, patients are, are post-operative patients. So when they put a hold on elective surgeries, that puts a hold on all the referral sources, so they had basically removed everyone down to, I mean, at the time, I think I was only working maybe, I was in the, in the clinic maybe two days a week as opposed to being in there like three or four days a week. And so they they reduced everyone's hours, they cut everyone's pay. There was a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not, like when are we gonna get to go back, all that stuff. And uh, my father-in-law is is the is, uh, him and some partners own the whole property that, that this the gym is on, right? So he's, a, I think, a, like a 25% shareholder. So there's a guy in, in Arizona that, that owns the majority of it, but but still. And so, but he, he also manages the property here. And so he gave me a call sometime around in May, basically like, hey, there's a vacant spot. Um, you know, it's going to cost X, Y, Z to actually, if they want to rent it out to other renters, right? Because you imagine a, a, a gym is a kind of a special space. It's really just a big, long area and there's not divider walls or anything like that. So if a gym doesn't replace it, it's kind of like there really isn't anything else. It's built out to be a gym, right? 
So I think it was going to cost like somewhere around $150,000 just to repurpose it into something else. You have to re- put up walls. You got to repurpose everything. Sure. So he was like, well, it's already built out to be a gym. You know, do you have any interest in doing that? And I was like, hell no, <laughs> for all the reasons that I just listed. And I was like, I don't have time to do that. I'm, I didn't, we didn't even talk about this, but I was also finishing my dissert. I was not finishing. I was in the middle of my dissertation at the mm-hmm. time. Like, um, so it was really like, that was my full focus, right? As well as all the sleep deprivation that comes with having a three month old. Sure. Um, but you know, I thought about it and it was always, so my, my kind of 10 year plan was always to have my own PT clinic, my own gym, my own research facility. That was the main reason for going back to get my PhD was to be able to have autonomy in doing whatever research ideas I wanted to, because I knew I wanted to be out of my own on some point. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it would go PT clinic, research facility, then gym, because that's how you would scale it. Right. So I started thinking about it more and I was like, you know, this is a really great opportunity to at the very least, like get some experience in it, you know? And so I thought about it and I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I obviously I can't be there full time. Right. So I need some money there that I, that I know well and that I trust. And I had just talked to, so me and Ricky, uh, Ricky was a PT tech that worked with me for three years. Um, knew him really well. And he had been considering PT school and I had just, you know, we, me and him had had a lot of conversations and, and he was the type of person, like I always told him, I was like, look, even if you don't get into PT school, like I know you, you're going to be successful. So and it's, it's a really hard thing. I think we get stuck at points in life where like we've decided I want to do this. Or I want Absolutely. to become that. And then yeah. when it doesn't happen or something different happens, it's a negative, but really it's just like, that's just not the way, you know, there's other options. There's hallways and doors in yeah, life and, and different, different hallways lead to different doors and so on. hundred percent. And you know, I knew, just from working with Ricky and talking to him, it's like, dude, I am not worried about it. you're going to be successful. I know you're going to be successful. And little did I know saying that like four years ago that he was going to be successful with me. Right. In your uh, gym, in my gym. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so he had gone back to school to get his MBA and he had just finished his MBA and the, the end, the last semester of your MBA is an internship. And mm-hmm. the whole purpose of the internship is to get, a, get job. a job, right? Because nobody wants to hire a leader that has no leadership experience, right? right. Well, pandemic, they killed all the no internships, right? So now Ricky is, I had just talked to him like the week before and he's like, yeah, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, you know, I basically have my internship got canceled. They said there's, they can't even tell me when they're going to be able to do it again. Nobody's going to hire me. So now he doesn't know what to do. Right. So I call him. I said, "Hey, crazy opportunity, um, crazy idea, crazy idea. <laughs> we we might <clears throat> we have the opportunity to to start a gym. It's an empty space. Like there's literally nothing in it. We'd have to get equipment. We'd have to do this whole process. And it's like you know, I can't I can't be there. So I, we need someone to be there 40 hours a week. Are you interested? And he was like, Oh hell yeah, I'm down. And so once he committed, I was like, Oh shit, maybe we could really do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm the type of person like. Once I commit to it, you know, if I think it's a good idea, I'm going to get a hundred percent, hundred percent in. in. Yeah. So I didn't think about it more than that. I should have probably, probably should have <laughs> thought about it, but you know, we, we basically looked at everything. Um, we're like, okay, we have Ricky there. I can drive up at the time I was still living in the city. So I was driving up like 40 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we made it work. Uh, it was, I mean, we could talk probably for like five hours about the first, that first year was absolutely insane. Cause I remember it was like a a weekly thing, whether or not they were going to shut down the gyms again, Mm -hmm. or this was going to change. And the mask policy changed and it's just back and forth. And we're just trying to, and that went on for like six months in Texas. I know we were, we were one of the first States to, to get rid of that mask mandate, but 
I know that went on for quite some time. It was, it was such a yo-yo thing, right? Like they would say one thing and then the next week would be on high alert and then it was back and forth and back and forth. And then the same thing kind of happened later with the Omicron variant. And it was just, I remember at one point we ended up, we ended up installing UV lights in our ventilation Mm -hmm. system just to try to like help make people feel more comfortable. We spaced out all the equipment. It was just like a, it was craziness. Um, and I think also it's worth mentioning like, so to, to do this, obviously we had to take out loans, mm-hmm. right? Um, a- Amy's, uh, my father-in-law put in some money as well because uh, for, for the initial equipment. And then we ended up later after we started like becoming more successful, we ended up taking out a loan and kind of paying him back. But we, uh, I had pushed, we had put everything that we had basically into this. And, you know, it, it's so funny because about, I don't know. So that June is when it started in August. I picked up a, a private client. I was seeing him at his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to, I don't want to like give his sure. Per, he, he's, he's since you and I have talked yes, about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he's since he's since passed away, but um, his, him and his family have been a complete blessing to me because almost every cent that I put into the gym was re- reimbursed through me going to s- treat him in his house. So for almost two years, I was, doing the gym, doing my full-time job, you know, parent COVID, all that stuff. And I was treating him three to four times a week at his house, which was in river Oaks. So 40 minutes from from, where you live. So my days were, it was, uh, you know, it was insane, but the, but I did it because it was basically like a way to, I had two salaries essentially. And so I was able to fully invest everything into the gym and feel comfortable because I had extra income Mm -hmm. coming in. And what's crazy is, you know, after about a year and a half, we had really gotten to the point where like, and for people who don't know gym business, the barrier to entry is very high because the upfront costs are very high. It's so high because it's, you and you don't not only have to buy the space, but you have to buy all your equipment, equipment, space, insurance, even like just stuff like setting up internet and everything else. Cause it's such a huge space. Right. Everything, the costs are really high. And the downside is that your costs are really high. And when you start, you have, you have no, no members, income. You, have you have zero no income. Right. So, you know, the, it was, it was tough. We were putting in a lot of money. You know, and we got to the point after about a year and a half where we had kind of passed that magic number of like, okay, we're, we're making money now. We're, we, we've, we've broken even. And what was crazy is, so literally like maybe two months after that point is when he passed away. And so it's like, it was like a trading of the torch. Like we started the business, we put all the money in and then I'm like, you know, and then I have him as a client. It bolsters everything back up. We feel I can feel comfortable putting money in, and then the second, really, a couple months later, after it's not really needed anymore, he passes away. That that you know, and and not only that, but he's a this guy was a businessman himself, like great, like I could. He wanted and so to know, he understood the process, he and he understood to know about the gym. He wanted to know about this and right. that, and so it was really good to kind of pick his brain and collaborate. And it was just a the whole thing was just a blessing. Like I think if I, you know, you you, you come across opportunities in life where it could take you and a completely different trajectory. And I look back on that time point, like the, the COVID was obviously a, a complete nightmare, but it also created a lot of opportunities Absolutely, and all of that mix up and chaos. I really think that in chaos, it will really separate people. Like there'll mm-hmm. be a lot of people that are going to go one way and the, in that chaos, it creates a lot of opportunities. And, and I was fortunate enough to be presented with those opportunities. And when I did, I took full advantage of them. Um, so yeah, it was a, 
I mean, it was a it was a completely crazy time. I wouldn't want to relive it, but it I, I'm also glad that that we that you know we did it. Um, and my wife helped out a lot too. Like you know, she was at home, and I mean, we had a in our office here. We had a little uh, bassinet. I mean, Sammy took a bunch of naps in here mm-hmm. because it was like all hands on deck those yeah. first six months. So um, yeah, I, I don't know really if I was in the right state of mind when I said yes to all this, but everything was just kind of clicking and coming together, and you know, it's it's worked out great. And I think now you know. It, Obviously, once you start any business, right? I mean, it's it's always kind of iffy going into it. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you, you got to put in a lot of money up front. You got to put in a lot of time and effort up front. But now that you've had some time to let it materialize and let things kind of work the way that they've worked, um, the gym's very successful. And you guys have built a really, really nice facility here. And I know that you guys are continuing. You've got ideas. You've got more, you know, things in the works for the gym itself um, that you want to, you know, build out over the coming months. hundred percent. Like, you know, and I, I had fully committed to, to our members and, our, and the trainers. Like I want, you know, I'm not the, for, for me, like if I have an extra $10,000 in my bank account, it does nothing for me. Like I, what I want to do is I want to reinvest because I know the long-term opportunity for this is that this, this gym will allow me flexibility with my lifestyle to focus on research and other things that I want to do. I don't want like extra money right now. If I can, if there's something that I can reinvest into the gym to make it better, to, to make it easier for our trainers to get clients so they can be successful. That's what I want to do. Um, and so we've done that for the last two and a half years. And, and because we've got a really good community, you know, it's like, I would say like 99% of the people that are here are great. Obviously you can't, it's not perfect. It's not don't perfect, get me wrong. Right, we, any, we have right. like anything else, right. enough people in one room and you're going to have some issues. Right. right. But, um, we've been able to manage all those things pretty well. And yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been a great learning experience for me in a lot of ways. Like I've grown a lot and like my leadership skills, mm-hmm. having to, handle all kinds of crazy situations I never would have thought of. And, you know, it's, it's about decision-making too, because, you know, really for every decision you make, there's going to be some type of consequence. And sure. I don't expect everyone to understand. And there's it's just, a, there's just a lot of stuff that you have to do on a, on a weekly basis. Like what do you do when a car drives through your window <laughs> and you've got to fix it and, you know, make sure everyone's taking, it's just a, you know, it'll always keep you on your toes. Right. That's, so, but that's it's awesome, man. But it's been good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay. That's really great. So you know, kind of transitioning on from the gym, kind of playing off of that a little bit. In addition to being a physical therapist and entrepreneur, you also work out. You know, you're, you're you're pretty uh, you're pretty strong guy. Um, so I thought I was strong until I until I started owning a gym and I see all the other people like Matt and, and you got Ozzy over here deadlifting like 600 to 700 pounds. Right. So yeah, but you obviously you're still fairly strong. So what has your fitness journey been like? You know, and yeah. and what keeps you accountable to training? among everything else that you've got going on between, you know, owning the business and, and then working as a PT? Yeah. So, you know, man, I, I love that question. I could probably, we could probably talk about that forever. I think in summary, you know, most people don't realize how good it feels to actually feel strong and to be fit. I think if more people were able to dedicate enough time to get fit, to feel strong, it's, it's, they would stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a society where literally two thirds of the people in the United States are obese and not just overweight, but obese, you know, the analogy I use for, for some people, which is kind of a crude analogy, but if you were to, let's say you were to give everyone, everyone in the United States is poisoned and you were to take a pill, it's an antidote and you put it on the other side of a six foot picket fence, probably three quarters of our population would die because they couldn't, they couldn't get over the fence. That's how bad it is. And I, and I don't say that like, it sounds really cruel, but it's just the reality. Like mm-hmm. we can, I, I think it's cruel too, but the reality is 
anyone with any major disabilities, anyone that's obese, Mm -hmm. anyone that's got, you know, other progressive disorders, um, heart conditions, things like that. They're not going to be able to do that. Our, Our physical fitness is so low in the United States that that's the reality. Um, and the majority of, you know, from a healthcare perspective, the majority of things that we spend money on are preventable to take heart disease, diabetes, uh, hypercholesterol, all of these comorbidities are really predicated around the fact that we have a high caloric diet and we don't exercise. And therefore these are the consequences. And our healthcare system traditionally has been focused on treating people that are sick. And I always say like in the United States, we are really, really good at keeping people alive and putting pieces back together. If you get an accident or you have a life or death situation, there isn't a single other place in the world I'd rather be. The United States, we do a great job of that. You're going to, it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it will. But at the end of the day, you know, if it's life or death, you know, we, we do a good job at that. What we don't do a good job of is preventative care. And that's where fitness comes in for me. Um, you know, I have seen over the years, I've seen so many patients that are just struggling. They can't, you know, they don't know how to bend over and pick something off the ground. They don't know how to move their body because they've spent so many years just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Or having to, you know how many times I had to explain what muscle soreness is to people? Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you're not hurt. You're not hurt. This is, this is, this this is is normal normal for exercise. Yes. They've never experienced it and they're in their sixties and seventies and eighties and they've never experienced muscle soreness. Can you imagine? That's crazy to me. I can't, I can't uh, imagine. I, I, I highly encourage everyone. If you get the opportunity, go spend time shadowing in a hospital, go to an acute care facility, go to an LTAC, go to a nursing home, see what it's like on the front lines. You will be absolutely shocked. And you know, take high cholesterol, for example, the that's, um, cholesterol medication is the most prescribed medication in the United States. And in uh, prescription medications, there's a thing called number needed to treat. And what that means is how many people have to take this medication to actually see a clinically meaningful result from it, right? So you take the number one prescribed cholesterol medication, the number needed to treat is somewhere close to 200 people. Right. It's actually, so even though everyone, everyone's on this medication, Mm -hmm. because you come into the clinic, you have high cholesterol, they give you cholesterol medication, right? That's just like part of the process, but the number needed to treat is close to 200. It may even be more. I can't remember exact, the exact number, but I remember it being ridiculous. That means that 200 people have to take the medication to see a clinically meaningful result. You know, what's got an intent, a number intended to treat of one diet and exercise, (laughs) right? And so it's like we have, you know, for, for me, it's like you can you can pay $50 a month to go to a gym membership and have some accountability and work. If you it, you don't have to be a gym rat, I'm talking 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise three to five times a week. We're talking an hour and a half to two and a half hours a week of your time that could potentially not just increase your your life expectancy, but it saves healthcare costs and it improves your quality of life. Right. And I think that what I'm afraid of happening is the further that we go through society, this problem is getting exponentially worse, right? Not only are we seeing crazy rises in obesity, which is just astronomical. I remember even when I was a kid, it was at like when it hit 50% and being like, wow, now it's two thirds. It's like 66 or 67% of the United States is obese, right? And now we're seeing a rise in pediatric obesity. So childhood obesity. And that's even worse, man. That's if you, yeah, you start off at 10, 12 and you're 14, you're obese. And there's that's the natural tendency is as you, let's say you eat on average, you eat an extra 500 calories a day. 
Well, over time, 500 calories a day, it's what is 3,500 calories to be one pound yes. of fat. Yes. So you add that up over time. The natural tendency is as you get older and you live more years, you're going to be more and more overweight. Right. Well, if you're starting off at 10 years old and you're obese already, what's the likelihood of you living past 30 or 40? It's not very high. And so and that's sad. Like to me, to me being in the fitness world, like it's, it's sad to know that statistic hundred percent and to know that that's where our country's going and yep. what's happening. Yep. Um, and I feel like for you being a healthcare, like, you know, per person, like in healthcare and also having the fitness knowledge and having that, that also that part of your life, it has to be, I would say it has to be probably frustrating for you to see that in your, in the majority of your patients, that this is, this is the result of their actions and what's happened to them over the course of years because of their in, you know, inactivity. hundred percent. And what's crazy, you know, I just want to shake people sometimes is like, you know, the other problem too now that we're getting into is like all the social media stuff, right? So, you know, and not to, not to say that like everything I post on social media is hundred percent accurate. I'm not saying I'm like some kind of saint that, you know, but when I see people in the fitness community, they're arguing over like, well, this striation versus that striation and this position and that position. And I'm like, okay, that matters for like the upper 1%. Right. Right. But in our healthcare climate, we need, I, I tell patients all the time. I don't, can I curse on this? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't give a fuck whether you, do I don't care what you do to exercise. Just do something. Yep. Join a class. Go some, do something. Go walk. Go play with your dog. Do something that gets your heart rate elevated, right? That's, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be something. And I think a lot of people, they're afraid of doing anything because they don't know, oh, am I, should I do this or should I do this or do I need to do this or how long for this? And they way overcomplicate they, things. And they get, exactly, because they go look online and yeah. they see one person says, oh, you gotta do this. Well, don't ever, and then the other person says, oh, don't ever do that, you'll explode. And now they're like, well, shit, I don't know what the hell to do. Right. When in reality, it's like, it's it's not that complicated. Like if somebody, you know, for most people, most lifters, if you walk in the gym, you spend 15 minutes on some type of cardiovascular exercise. You do 30 to 40 minutes of full body workout, you know, think five to 15 repetitions, just pick whatever exercise you want to. That is more than enough to get the results that you need in everyday life. Right. Correct. You don't have to, you know, be so what people don't realize is, you know, if you want to be an elite level bodybuilder, if you want to be an elite level power, if you want to be elite level, anything, the biggest predictor for that genetics. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. You hear bodybuilders talk about all the time, but you know, there are some people where it doesn't matter how much stuff you take Mm -hmm. and what kind of striation workout you do or anything, you know, the genetics aren't there. Uh, And that's why I'm, I know that I'm not going to make it in bodybuilding because my genetics, (laughs) my genetics will not allow for that. I still enjoy lifting and I still enjoy going heavy and, and, you know, really taxing myself. But I know that bodybuilding is just not in my future. hundred percent. And you know, it, there's something to be said, like, you know, I've done powerlifting competitions before I've done other competitions. I, I know I'm not, I'm not a star athlete. I'm not going to be the best. I'm not going to, you know, there was a time in my life where that's what I wanted, right. When I was 20 years old or sure. whatever. Um, but you, you know, you realize relatively quickly is like, you know, I don't have the, the kind of threshold that people need to get to that level. And I also don't have, I don't think I have the desire to work. Even if I did have that, I don't think I have the desire to focus my entire life on that to become the best at it. Right. And that's really what it takes. And, it and for those people who, who want to do that, that's great. You yeah. know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, there's also a part of, uh, of other parts of life that are also important yeah. and also hold value. And I think everyone's got, that's the, that's the, that's the, the beauty of life is you get the opportunity to figure out what that thing is or what mm-hmm. those things are and you get to do them, you know, but, 
But yeah, there's an interesting book called the sports gene that really just talks about that as like there are just, it's, it's like, uh, the Kipchoge's of the world, right? The, the marathon, the elite marathon runner, they've done biopsies of his tissue. Like his, his muscle tissue is just not normal. Yeah. Like he can run basically at a sprint for two and a half hours or well, not, now he finishes a marathon in less than two hours, which is insane, insane. right? The pace to do that. So anyways, all, all that to say is, you know, my fitness journey now is, uh, I really want, obviously I want to just stay in good enough shape to be strong, to be fit, to be healthy, to be able to take care of, you know, my family when I get older and not have to be dependent on all of those. That's really my goal. And, and my goal is to try to impart that on as many people as possible. And, and really my, what I'm trying to think of now is how can I have the biggest impact on societal health that I possibly can? Like what is it teaching? Is it doing courses? Is it, is it having gyms? I, you know, I don't know. I think, um, some combination of all of those things, but really now that the gym is successful and I have some flexibility, that's my mission now is like, how do I have the biggest impact? Because I've, I learned very quickly, you know, I could treat patients my whole career. Right. And, maybe I help a thousand people or something. I mean, I'm not sure what the math is if I see X number of people, but it, let's say a thousand or 2000 people, I get them better. But if I can teach other people how to take care of themselves, if I can teach other people how to treat patients better, if I can teach other people how to exercise people better, then that is an exponential increase in the number of people that I can impact. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of like my mission now, as far as, you know, what my plans are for the future, not just with the gym, but with, you know, all my healthcare stuff too. Um, and to be honest, I don't really know. I have a lot of feelers out there and I'll see kind of where the dust settles. Um, but you know, one of the things that I'd really like to get started relatively soon, you know, we've done some, some kind of test courses here, like gym 101, fitness 101 courses that we've opened up to the public. And I, I really like to expand on that now because, uh, I think if, I get the opportunity to speak in front of people and to talk about what we just talked about. Like it doesn't have to be fancy, Super exercise, overcomplicated to get out there and do it. Right. right. Um, that potentially we could start getting people to be, you know, to, to prioritize that. And, and to be honest, I do think that, I mean, there's a, there, the, the gym business in general right now, the fitness industry is, is booming. It is. And I, and I think part of that is because of COVID. I think it, it, it really shocked some people and like, Oh shoot, I, I haven't, really taken down anything yeah. in however long. Yeah. Know? And I think, so I, I've seen some good things from that. Um, at least in the, the area that we're at, I, I know there's, you know, lots of, it seems like all gym, all the gyms are expanding and growing and doing different things. And there's more gyms popping up. And, and I think that's a good thing. Like, I think it's good competition for us and it'll help, you know, drive all of us to, to become better institutions, but it's also a good sign for societal health right now. I, we'll see what happens in 10 years when we get those uh, census data back and they're like, Oh, actually now four fifths of the population is obese. I, I could be, I could be wrong, but at least I can see something happening in the right direction. So. You know, I think you're a, you're a really good role model. Um, and, and you really set a good example when it comes to, you know, how you conduct yourself in, in physical fitness. You know, I know you, I see you walking around the gym often and you're always talking to the, to the members and you know, your, your social media posts are, are always very educational. And we talked about that before we, we came on, um, and so I think you're doing all of the right things in that area. Um, and I think, you know, just, just continuing to do it. And I, and I really like the, the goals and the, you know, the thoughts you have for your future on, on kind of what you would like to do. And I think that's, that's going to bring you a lot of fulfillment and it's going to bring you a lot of, um, you know, happiness to know that, you know, you're, you're affecting that many people in a positive way. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I think that's honestly like my life goal is to basically, 
you know, I want to be, I don't want to look back on my life and be like, oh, I could have done X, Y, Z, but I, oh, I didn't, or, you know, I didn't take the risk or I didn't feel comfortable. Like, you know, it's really my goal to try to do something that makes me uncomfortable. Like, you know, every, if not every day, every week, right. Yeah. Maybe a couple of days of just being comfortable is nice, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm continuing to, to grow and to, to get better and to, you know, to be honest, like, um, you know, I had a lot of, uh, like social anxiety around speaking in public. Like if you talk to any of my uh, like college or grad school friends, what used to happen when I would stand up in front of people and talk is I'd just be like profusely sweating and you know, like that whole thing. And I realized like, okay, there's I'm, this makes me very uncomfortable, but I also have things that I think are important mm-hmm. and I'm never going to let, if there's something that's important enough, I'm never going to let me feeling uncomfortable. Your fear stop. of yeah. that. I'll, I'll get up there 10 times and sweat my ass off. And I know that eventually on the 11th time, the 12th time, the 20th time, it'll stop. Right. right? And I, I've realized, you know, I've, obviously I've had to do ton, a I mean, lot I've done of public so speaking. much public speaking right. and so many presentations over the year. And the thing is, is like the more you learn, the more prepared you are, the more comfortable you are with the topic. And also the more often you are in the more familiar yeah. you are with that position, being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. Right. then it gets better. Right. right. And that's, and that's it, honestly, what's funny is it's the same thing with working out right? Mm-hmm. That barrier 100%. to entry, you walk in the gym, you're like, Oh shit, I don't know what any of this stuff does. And everybody's mm-hmm. looking at me and I don't want to do this. And I feel insecure about it. Well, guess what? After three months, six months, nine months, 12 months of doing that. Now you're one of the people that know what they're doing, right? That's how it works. Yeah. Right. I think- Everyone starts somewhere in, in no matter what you're doing, it, it, it applies <clears throat> to any area of life. When you yes. start a new venture, you're going to suck. It yep. just, it's part of it. Absolutely. And then you learn and you grow and you say, okay, well this works and this doesn't work and this works and this doesn't work. And then you progressively get more confident and you get better at it. Yep. They say mastery lives quietly atop a mountain of mistakes, right? If you don't ever make a mistake, if you can't ever admit that you're bad at something, you're never going to be good. And I see it all the time in the physical therapy world. Like the big problem we have now is like you, you go to, so for those of you guys who don't know, physical therapy is a, a clinical doctorate program now. So it, it's a not not the, the PhD is something different, but it's called a DPT, so a Doctor mm-hmm. of Physical Therapy. And a lot of the new grads are they're going through grad school. They have their doctorate. They they want to call themselves doctor, blah blah blah, and they think that because they have a doctorate, that people are going to respect what they say. And let me be the first to tell you that no one gives a shit. Like. You're gonna what go, have you done? Yeah, you're going to go to work at a clinic and, you know, in our in the healthcare model, the physicians are always going to be at the top of that, right? That's just, they're the top and, and they should be. They have way more training. Right. They have a lot of other different perspective than physical therapy. And that doesn't mean I'm not saying that, oh, physical therapist, you shouldn't stand up for what you're talking about. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that as a doctor of physical therapy, you are going to be underpaid all of their patients are going to think that you're just like a trainer. They don't, they don't care about your degrees at all. The physicians don't care at all either. And so what I'm seeing is a lot of people, they're graduating with their clinical doctorate and they're going, I'm a doctor now. And then when they don't get all of that external like validation, they, yeah, and then they realize like, oh, actually, I really don't know what I'm doing yet. A lot of them are really uncomfortable with being bad mm-hmm. because they and they think that they think that they should be yeah, good, right? Yeah, because I'm a doctor. Finished, I just finished my, my yeah, I just finished my clinical doctor. I should be I should know what the hell I'm doing. And and I realized very quickly when I went on my internship as a as a PT uh, student, I was like, wow, the level from where I'm at right now and for these people that I'm working with is so high. I I am I'm at the very beginning of my journey. And that's the one hard part about physical therapy is like so me and my wife, we went to grad school together. We had the same degree. She has a, she has a doctorate in physical therapy too. Her expertise is pediatrics. 
We had to take the same board exam. We had to take the same life. Everything's the same. We have the exact same degree and completely different, different skills. Fields. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So really, you know, the doctorate of physical therapy is a generalist degree. And I'll probably get a lot of people that are mad about that in the physical therapy, but it's true. Like you have to learn geriatrics. You have to learn pediatrics. You have to learn orthopedics. You have to learn neuro. You have to learn skincare, all that stuff. You have to learn that. That's what your board is on. So if you, if you go into physical therapy and say, oh, I want to go specifically into orthopedics or sports, the day one of your journey starts when you graduate. That's when you start learning and becoming an expert in orthopedics and sports or whatever the field is you want to do. And in order to do that, you need to be humble. You need to find good mentorship and you need to work at it. You can't, it's not, the job's not done because you finished grad school. Right. And I think, you know, that's honestly one of the big reasons why I started jujitsu now. Like I've done a little bit before, but nothing really, but you know, I'm at the point in my career where like, okay, I've, I've gotten all the all the certifications and the degrees that I, I don't want to, I don't want to go back and get any more right now. Um, <clears throat> I have the clinical experience. I've, I've been mentored a lot. I've had all of my ego broken down and built back up. I've done that whole process in that realm. And I don't ever want to get to a point where I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I comfortable. You know, I don't complacent. Wanna, so I walk over there like, Earlier, I went at 11 o'clock today and there's a 145 pound black belt. So I outweigh him by like 90 pounds submitted. He probably me, kicked your ass. He submitted me like every 15 seconds. Right. And I did it with a smile on my face because I know that even though today I'm horrible, if I can accept being horrible and enjoy the process of learning a new skill in six months, I'll be better in 12 months. I'll be better in two or three years. I'll be way better. Right. So I think that's the part. And, and it's funny because if you work out, it teaches you that a little bit too, because mm-hmm. there isn't a single person who walks in the gym and knows what they're doing. Right? right. And, and to be honest, like the way, the way that we set, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, but I, I specifically set up this gym to help with that. Right. You walk in front desk, there's cardio. And then a little bit further, there's pin machines and a little bit further cable machines. And then all the way in there's free your dumbbells weights. and your free weights. So if you're uncomfortable and you don't Right. everyone's somewhat comfortable with the treadmill. Like they know what it is. They know how to use it. It's pretty self-explanatory. If you need to just walk in and go right to there, right? The further you go in the gym, the more advanced it gets. And same thing with barbells in a completely different, it's not in the main gym. Right. Cause it's I know completely full, separate. I know full well that if, if you put it in the main gym, what you, what would happen? You're going to alienate a, a big crowd right. of people. Right. And that's, right. you know, <clears throat> for me, I don't want to, I want to build a gym that I want to work out in. Right. But that's not my, I can't cater. If it was just me, I'd have a barbell, a couple barbells and and that's all I need. I don't need, I don't need any machines, Right, but people, other people do. And if my goal is to try to break down as many barriers to fitness as possible. And if your goal is to impact as many people as you were talking about earlier and just make people more healthy in general, the the, the first step in doing that is, is making an accommodating gym where people would want to come and and train hundred percent. You gotta, it's gotta be accessible. You gotta remove some of those barriers, remove as many barriers as you can. There'll always be barriers. Right. Um, so, so I think about that stuff a lot. Um, and I think we've done a decent job of doing that always room for improvement and some things you can't change. Like it's not like we can, you know, move the building or something, make it different. It, it, we, we kind of are stuck with what we have and, but we've tried to work with that as much as possible to try to remove some of those things. So, um, yeah, I think it's something that I've, I've always, I've seen it in so many different professions. Like people are so afraid to be uncomfortable or afraid to not know that it leaves them in this state of inaction because they're like, they can't feel comfortable or safe enough to even start. Right. You know, I think it's interesting and I really appreciate that you said that, that, 
you know, as I've gotten older, I've even noticed and seen that a lot of people just in, in my career field in the business world, they shy away from being uncomfortable. They, they completely run the opposite direction, you know, and, and being uncomfortable, I I love it. I, I embrace it because I know that I might suck at whatever it is now, but I, I really love the process of learning. I love the process of, of getting better at something. It doesn't matter what it is. Yep. And you probably feel that same way now that you're doing jujitsu where, you know, you've got all the technical certs, you're, you know, you're fairly knowledgeable about being a physical therapist. You know, you've, you've figured out how to be an entrepreneur and now, you know, you work out, but now you're, you're rolling and getting your ass kicked by somebody who's a hundred pounds less than you. Yep. It's probably demoralizing to your self-esteem, Yeah, but you're getting better. And it's something that, yes, you said you're, you're not good at now, but give it three months, give it six months, give it nine months, yep. then you'll, you'll get better. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, ego is the enemy, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, there's, I feel like we don't ever want to reach a point in our lives where we feel like we've made it. And, and that's for me, like I, I well, never, that's, that's the, when you feel that way, you've already lost. Yes, you're stagnating. You've already right? lost. Yep. And I think it's interesting, the dichotomy that plays, because I don't want, not to say that you need to beat yourself down to where you think you can't do anything. Like there are things I always tell people that you can be confident about what you know. Right. And we, we, we hear people hear confident and there's always this positive, like I'm really confident. That means I, I know what I'm talking about. No, mm-hmm. I'm just as confident about what I know as what I don't know. Right. And I'll tell you, I don't know this and I'm bad at this and I'm confident about it. And but being humble enough to know that about yourself and, you know, not cocky to come in and say, I know everything. Yep. I know how to do this. And because then you turn off people, you know, 100%. if you can come in and say, look, these are the things that I know. This is what I don't know. Help me learn what I don't know. Yeah. That's a lot better of a way to approach that. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's always fascinating to me that because people, I'll have, I'll have new clinicians say like, what if I just don't know the diagnosis? Like I, I talk, I see, I talk to the patient, I examine the patient. I just don't know what the problem is. I'm like, just tell them that. And then go ask somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Literally be like, like, Hey, look, this is tell them what you do know. Hey, I, I looked, we looked at a full exam. This is what I know. It's not, I know it's not anything bad because of these things that I looked at, but I don't know exactly what it is. And that's okay because I found some things we can work on and I have a good pool of resources. We're going to get this figured out. Like I'm here to help you. Like if you're a, if you're a, uh, a if patient, you're a patient, you'd love to hear that. Yeah. That's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks. It's like, you know, it's, it's just transparency. Right. And it's being confident about, and it's such a, I can't, I mean, I, there's been a hand, only a handful of, of people that I've mentored over the over the years that have been able to do that well, where they're they're confident about what they know and they're just as confident about what they don't, and um, I think that's really important because our ego will convince us otherwise a mm-hmm. lot. Like, oh no, no, I think you know maybe it's this, and 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 you don't want to you don't want to share with others that you're you don't know what you're talking about. Right. But what it really does is it it actually strengthens. When you, when I, people, people that know me, like if I tell them, Hey, this is this, or I think this is this, or you should do that. They, they know that it's coming from, like, I'm, I'm very confident about that. It, it strengthens the things that I say, because they also know that when I don't know, you're going to say them, that you don't know, or I'll give them resources or I'll send them somewhere else or whatever the case is. Right. So I think that's an interesting dichotomy that uh, not a lot of people balance well. And 
and something I'm always trying to keep myself in check because to be honest, like there, there are times where I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, Sean, you did a good job. You have, you got, you, you've done well in all these other areas and like you got a successful business now. And it's like, you start feeling it, your, your ego kind of puff up a little mm-hmm. bit and then it's like, okay, well, what can I do to really make me realize that to I don't know what the yourself. fuck I'm talking about? Yeah, right? or, exactly. And so, yeah, that's what Jujitsu is great for that. It's a great humbler because there'll always be somebody way better than me at it. And right now it's pretty much everybody. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's been good. You know, I think that one more, you know, point on this topic, I think that it's interesting to see somebody like yourself who, who can admit that they're bad at stuff and be okay with that. Because I think a lot of people, they, they use it as like, you know, if if they're bad at something, they get all self-conscious about it and they get all like worked up about it. Um, and I've, I've seen it in my job where, you know, I got this it certification back in October. Um, and uh, the rest of my coworkers, you know, I'm trying to get them to follow suit. I'm trying to motivate them, inspire them for why they should want to go after this, you know, get a pay raise, you know, learn more things, get more knowledge, things like that. And they just don't have the confidence in themselves that they can actually do it. So they just don't, you know, And, and, and it's frustrating for me to see that because I'm a very highly motivated person and I want to go get stuff done as much stuff as I can. I just want to go do it. And to see people who just aren't that way and are just kind of comfortable hanging out where they are and just, you know, complacent with the things that they have going on. It's, it's kind of frustrating in, in that, in that way. Yeah. I think it's interesting because a, a lot of people I think would, they would rather, they would rather the avoid the uncomfortability and be almost like accept they they would rather accept that complacency than admit to themselves that like oh there's areas there's things i can do to improve <laughs> and i think that we're always and to be honest we're always seeking comfort to some degree like and 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 i get it like the temptation for me is always there to like just hey just chill like just chill out but at the end of the day you know i'm 33 you know, I want to be able to spend time with my kids and my family and all those things, but I really don't want, I know how fast time goes by and I don't want 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I haven't done the things, right. And that's what, what people don't realize is the further you start walking down a path, the harder it is to say, Whoa, I'm going down the wrong way. I need to backtrack Mm -hmm. and go back. Right. It's really hard to do when you're 35 years old or you're 40 years old and you realize like, Oh shit, I've just been kind of like coasting how do you come to that realization and you flip a switch and then you just, okay, I got to go backtrack 10 start. years and yeah. now I need to go do this. It's so hard. So you got to unlearn all those habits yeah, and I, all that stuff. I don't ever want to be walking down a path that's not in the direction that I feel like I need to go for an extended period of time. Right. There's always, to be honest, like, you know, I stayed probably the last two or three years at the hospital system. I've been kind of like, you know, basically since we had the gym, I was like, man, should I go now? Or should I, should I stay a little bit longer and blah, blah, blah. And I did. So I stayed a little bit longer. Like there was part of me that wanted to leave a year ago, you know, and, and I'm glad that I stayed cause I did get to learn more about research. We have a lot of really good researchers that are a part of our team. And that, that was a good reason to stay. But I realized I was walking down a different path for three, four or five months and I wasn't doing, I wasn't going in the direction that I wanted to. And that was hard enough to like realize, cause you know, I had a, had a lot of, have to have a lot of difficult conversations with people that I cared about. Like, right. Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. And you know, I had built up a really strong network and team and we had a lot of mutual goals we were reaching towards. And I had to basically say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be, I appreciate what yeah, you guys are trying to do, but, but I'm not, it's not for me. Yeah. No, that was hard, obviously. Um, but I, I, it was a lot easier to do it now than it would be in five years or 10 right. years or 15 years. Right. Once right. you've kind of set that, that chart, you're, you're kind of stuck. So, um, but yeah, I think, um, 
like I said, if I ever come across a time where I'm completely comfortable for too long, it's a really good sign for me to like, all right, we got to do something. Now we got to, yeah. we got to make some, and it doesn't have to be, it could be something as simple as doing something new, right? Like I, I have a really big fear of, uh, heights and like, uh, you know, like jumping out airplane. That's on my, like, I don't want, I'm not saying I want to do that now, but if I ever get to the point where I've done all these other things and I just need like something to like make myself uncomfortable, that'll be the, yeah, I'll have that. <laughs> that'll have that to fall back on. Cause I'm pretty sure that will re- reduce me to like a five-year-old child, like clinging to the instructor and not wanting to get out of the plane. So I think, uh, I'm going to save that in my back pocket for later. <laughs> I think you have enough stuff going on right now anyway to, yeah, to satisfy yeah, that for, for right now. So the last question I have um, is something you've kind of alluded to as we've been talking here, talking about mentorship and leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've led and mentored many junior physical therapists and you um, are also or have also been an adjunct faculty over at Texas Women's University, which is where you went to school, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so what does leadership look like to you and how do you prepare younger people, physical therapists, or just people in general for life as either a clinician or just life in general? Yeah. I mean, you know, mentorship has been a huge part of my career. Like for me, I saw the impact and trajectory that having good mentors helped me with. Like I wouldn't be half the clinician without the investment of the selfless investment of a lot of people. Um, and my whole goal really is to try to be that person for as many people as I possibly can be. Um, it, it's really hard because you, you, you want to invest in as many people as possible, but to be completely honest, a lot of the work has to also, it, it's a two way street. Mm-hmm, and what I've experienced with a lot of people is they'll reach out. Um, they want to set something up. They want to, they want to shadow do X, Y, Z. And it's always an open door policy for me. It's like, yeah, come whenever you want to. I can't tell you, I would say one out of every 10 people that reach out initially actually show up or actually put in the work that require that's required. Right. Um, to be honest, like even in, I've seen a trend, like even in our residency program, like over the last eight years or so, you know, when I was in residency, I told all my friends, I told my wife, I told like, Hey, this year is going to be like, gone for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fully invested in this process, right? I want to learn as much as I possibly can. You know, uh, I was, I was working more hours than was required of me. I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't even, I didn't take a single day of PTO. I didn't even ask about it. It wasn't even cause I didn't even ask about it. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't even, even the thought of your it wasn't mind. A thought. It's like the only days I'm going to miss is if I'm sick or something happens. Like I'm not, otherwise I'm going to, otherwise you were dedicated 100%. to learning your craft. And what I'm seeing now is and not to, to like bash on, you know, the new residents or anything. Cause we have a lot of really good residents too. What I'm seeing now is that's not there. Like that desire to really, the, the residency is just another thing they can cross off their to-do list. Like, Oh, I got to do this. Cause that'll help me. Like, and no. I don't think that's just unique to just PT. No, I think not. that's just society. Yes. I mean, I see it too. And I'm sure, you know, everybody else who, who works in a corporate job, you know, yes. they see it as well. It's just the work ethic that people have these, or I guess people don't have these days is just really pronounced. Yeah. I think that people want, you hear a lot about work-life balance and you, you hear a lot about, I mean, the, you think back like 20, 30 years ago, people would start at a company and stay at a company and they'd grow with the company. And that doesn't happen much anymore. Like people are bouncing around all over the place. And to be honest, you almost have to do that now if you want to get raises and promotions and things like that. And it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating. What it shows me is that these companies are not reinvesting in their employees. They're not, they're not trying to build up their, their team. And especially for me now that I'm here more, you know, um, 
that's one of the things that I want to, I want to really invest in Ricky. I want to invest in our trainers. I want to invest in our front desk staff. You know, I know that our front desk isn't going to, they're not going to try gonna to be stay life, here lifers for the, for the rise gym yeah. front desk. But, but, I, but I'm a big believer in like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. And if they can learn how to work hard and how to do certain skills now, I can, I'll be very confident they're going to be successful, whatever, whatever things they go into. And so that's really for leadership for me now is, 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 is how do I grow my business and grow my staff and have a positive impact on all of those people, you know? And then like we talked about, you know, I, I, I always enjoy teaching. I, I want to try to have as big of an impact as I possibly can. You know, one thing I think that's really important, you know, obviously we can learn something from everybody. Mm-hmm. There's not a single person. I don't care. There's not a single person or a single situation you can't learn something from. And maybe because they're doing stuff really wrong, but you can learn from that too. <laughs> right. Right. Um, there's lots of opportunities for learning that I think people miss. And some of that is because they don't care enough. They're not paying attention. Um, actually the jujitsu instructor I was just talking to, he, he was describing a situation where they had a, uh, a guy that was six, four and a girl that was five, one, and he, pa- he paired them up to roll together and they both like kind of rolled their eyes like, Oh God, what am I going to get out of this? Right. And he was like, the funny thing is, is that they went into that session going, I'm not going to get anything out of this. And they're right. And if they had gone into that session, oh, there's some things I can work on. They're also right. You can always learn something from any situation, whether it's positive, negative, or indifferent. There's always a lesson or two to be learned from it. 100%. And I think what I look for in mentors or or mentees, I guess I should say, is people who are really hungry for learning and are willing to do whatever. They're willing to take advantage of those opportunities. And for those people – Like there's been several people, you know, throughout my career that have been like that. And I'm like fully invested, like anything they need, they could call me a year later and they do like a year later, they're in another job in another state. They need something, need whatever. If I can help with it, I'm, I'm all about it because I know, again, going back to the impact that a couple of mentors had for me, if I can assist even a small percentage in all these other people, like they're going to be better. They're going to see me investing in them and they're going to want to to do that to other people too. And it's just this ripples in a pond effect that, that has a really a lot farther reach. than I think we anticipate, you know, um, I think that, you know, it's probably like that in all professions. Like there, there will always be coworkers and stuff that you, well, you can learn from everybody again, mm-hmm. but that will really take extra time to help others, to invest in others. And we need, we, need that. Like if you want to be successful, you need to find a mentor. If there's, there's only so much you can learn from books. There's only so much you can learn um, from studying. You've, there's a whole practical application part and it's, it's a lot about perspectives as well. Like, you know, I was, I was uh, just talking about this the other day, but so, so for, to give you guys some insight, like you go to physical therapy school, like we said, you have a, you get your general degree and then you do residency and okay, now you're starting to specialize in orthopedics, but you still have only been practicing really for a year. Right. So I did that. And then I did fellowship, which is basically like a, a two year program that you go basically every month, you go to a weekend intensive course. And then after you finish all of your coursework, you take some exams. When you finish that, you have to do mentorship hours and it's 150 hours of one-on-one mentorship. So there is a senior clinician mentoring you on your patients for 150 hours, right? So that's mandatory for yeah, the program? That's, that's okay. how you get all that. So, you know, I did 150 hours or so in residency and then 150 hours in fellowship. And as I was going through that process, I started realizing like, okay, I'm learning all these technical skills. Like I'm getting better and better and better. And then what I started realizing is like, oh, wait the part that I actually need. Cause again, I, t- I, like I said, 
the patients don't give a shit. They don't care and they don't know. They have no understanding of the training that you had. What right. they care about is how you communicate with them, how you talk to them, you know, how you're guiding them through that process. And I started realizing the, it was just, I, it was just like funny irony. I'm learning more and more and more. I'm getting more and more technical proficiency and I'm realizing that I need it less and less and less. And what I really need to focus on is all of the interpersonal skills. How do I get people that don't exercise that have knee pain and they're 65 years old and they are trying to avoid a knee surgery? How do I get them to understand that all they have to do is do some lifestyle modifications, exercise, get a little stronger and give it time and things will get better. How do I get them to buy into that? Now, a lot of clinicians, if you go, if you were to go to any random physical therapy clinic in the, in Houston area, I would say at least 50% are going to focus on what can I provide you? What can I, I can, I can do some dry needling to your knee. I can do some man- manipulation, mobilization to your knee. We can stretch, we can do this, we can do that. We can do some grass in or whatever. Like those are all tools that yes, can have some pain reduction benefit. But what you really need is to figure out like who this person is and how you can motivate them to do whatever it is they need to do to get better and then to sustain that and get better. And that's all about building relationships and the communication. Yes. And it's not a, it's not a skill you're going to learn. It's not something you're going to learn in a book, right? So how, so what mentorship does is it takes the technical knowledge and the practical application of a person in front of you and it puts them together because the, what the techniques that I use to treat your elbow and Sally's elbow and Joe's knee are all different. They're not going to be the same. Because you're dealing with different people. Yeah. They have different problems. They have different perspectives. And the reality is perspective is reality. How they perceive their problem, right? That's And that's their, the reality for them. Exactly. It might and, not be your reality, but it's their reality. Exactly. And so it's all about creating change, right? I want I look at it as a you know, the analogy I give to, to new clinicians sometimes is you've got a patient that's on the other side of a bridge and you're over here, right? And they believe this is what the problem is. And you might know that this is hey, you need to get across this bridge. This is how you get better. And you can yell at them from across the bridge and tell them that you're right. And what are they going to do? Like that guy's crazy over there. So a lot of times it require it might require you to walk all the way over to the, their side of the bridge, talk with them, build a relationship, build a rapport. Why would they trust you to walk across the bridge if they have no you know, they don't know who you are, what you're about or any of those things. And that's right? not something that happens just in one session. No, that's, not at all. that's over the course of time. hundred percent. And so, you know, in the physical therapy world, there's a big, a big movement. Um, it's, you know, it, dealing with pain, right? There's a whole psychology of pain and, and we, we call it like central sensitization. It basically means like, you know, for example, we could take an x-ray of 10, 75 year old knees, right? They'd all probably look pretty arthritic, but maybe only two of them have pain. So why is it that two people with the exact same, exact same arthritis mm-hmm. in their knee, only two of them hurt and eight of them don't, right? The reason is, is because depending on a variety, a multitude of factors that can affect pain, how people perceive pain and the pain experience and all those things. And a lot of new clinicians, they hear that and they go, okay, well, I can just tell a, pa- I can just tell a patient like, well, guess what? arthritis is normal and it's, it's not what's causing your pain. But the problem, what they don't realize is that that's them on this side of the bridge shouting at this other person across the bridge that is, and they're saying things that are completely different than what their, their reality is. That's never going to work. That's not how pain science works. Pain science works by building a relationship, 
building rapport, getting them to trust in what you're saying so they feel confident that they can almost relinquish a little bit of the control of their healthcare to you, right? Which is a, a big, um, uh, it's a, it's an important thing. And then you can take that and then you can slowly start molding them into a new perspective. Right? And it goes back into that confidence thing we were talking about earlier, just being confident with what you know and being confident with what you don't know and allowing people to trust you through the confidence that you bring. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's such a, it's just been such an interesting process. Like again, you learn all these technical, you're getting grilled on all these technical skills and you're learning and learning, learning. And then it, I get to the end of it. I'm like, Oh, actually not to say this doesn't matter, but this piece over here is what I really need to be focusing on. And so for the last, I would say three years of my career, that's what I've been really, really focusing on, not just in me learning, but like, how can I understand this better so that I can mentor others better? Cause I know how important it is. And I can tell from looking at all these clinicians that they don't understand how important it is. And I think that in a nutshell is why mentorship is so important. Same thing for the, for the gym, right? I know when I look at our front desk staff, let's say, and I see, XYZ not, let's say this isn't getting cleaned or this isn't getting done properly or, you know, they're not taking it as seriously as I would. I don't expect them to take it as seriously as I would because it's not their business, right? I get that. I have you to have, you have more ownership of it because you yes. are the owner. But what I also know is that if they want to be successful people, corners can't be cut. Mm-hmm. Certain things have to be done. The way that they do one thing is the way that they're going to do everything. And so for my, really for me is, as a leader now in my business is how do I get them to understand that? How do I get them as 18, 19, 20, 25 year olds to see the perspective that, that I have, which is that you might not think that this is a big deal, but I'm telling you, this is going to set up the rest of your career. It might if, not be important to them to vacuum the carpet. No. But, and maybe in the moment, maybe it's not, maybe it's not the most important thing for them to do, mm-hmm. but it's the learning of the process yes. and the learning of why, the, like the why behind why you're doing something. Yes. You'll see me any, any given week, I'm vacuuming the carpet, I'm repairing stuff. And I do that because they need to see me do it. Because if it's not like I'm just going to be like shouting orders, like, no, I'm going to do people, every- people follow leaders when they see the leader doing the things that they're telling yeah. them to do. And that's the, that's the dichotomy in leadership itself is that you know, you, there are times when you need to be scrubbing the floor and doing that. And that might be the best thing you can do for your staff or for whatever else is. And there, but there are also a lot of times where you need to be able to step back and let them basically, you also can't, you can't be down in the weeds and and Jocko talks about it all the time. And I know you're a big follower of Jocko that sometimes you have to detach from those situations. You you can be in it from time to time, but sometimes you also have to detach because you are the leader. You have to look at the bigger picture and figure out from a strategic perspective, what's going on and, and allow your, your junior personnel and your junior staff to actually do the actual work. hundred percent. And what I'm learning now, you know, is that again, it's just like with patients, every one of my employees, every one of the people that I interact with, they're all different. They all need different things. They all need different motivation. And I also need to be willing to say like, okay, we've done, maybe we've done, we've tried these things and it's not working and I need to be okay with like, okay, we got to find somebody else. Right? right. And so that, and that in and of itself is, is, is hard as a challenge. So I think it, you know, it's one of those things too, is, you know, I know when I was 18, 19, I was my first mentor that I didn't even know who was my mentor. Cause it was my first, I worked at a gym, uh, as a club, uh, club sports supervisor. And I also worked at, at the front desk and, uh, our, my boss was con- He was meeting with us, trying to find ways to connect with us to teach the same things that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I had no fucking idea couldn't care. You probably didn't care. No, couldn't care less. I was like, why are we having these damn meetings? Right. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was in grad school. I was like, Oh, that's why. Yeah, I get it. it Clicked. He, he was, he was 
investing time in me to try to teach me these things because he knew that that's important, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, it, I, you know, we had we had kept in touch. He was a great guy, but I I messaged him in grad school, and I was like, I think I'm just now realizing that you were doing these things to try to mentor. Uh, it wasn't just me; he was trying to mentor all of us. Mm-hmm. And it, it took me three or four years to to realize that. And and I think with with life comes maturity, yeah. and, and you learn you know things 100%. over time, and and you start to understand and and have some reflection on why things were done a certain way. And so I think that was just you maturing and, and growing interest in your own life, hundred percent. And and I think that's, you know, now what I'm trying to do is how do I get my staff and my employees, all of those people, or even just the member, everyone that I interact with, how do I have a positive impact on all of them so that they can, it can help their growth as well. Um, and I'll be completely honest. I haven't figured out how to do that with everybody yet. Like, you know, for, for, to be honest, like what comes natural to me is to be like, and, and you know, I've made, I've made residents cry before I've made, it's just because I have a tendency to probably not bullshit as much like, Hey, this was bad. And this is, we need to do this better, you know, whatever the case may be. Or if I don't see, if I don't see them, especially with residents, cause with residents, I'm a little bit, my, my leash is shorter. Like if you don't prepare, you don't show up and I'll tell them straight up. Like if you come to me for a mentor session and you don't have the stuff done, you need to do, it's going to be a rough time for you. Like I'm going to grill you into the ground. You will never forget to do this again. Right. Um, and I've had to learn that that's not always very effective either because that just pushes people away sometimes. So again, it's, it's a, it's an imperfect process for me, but dealing I, with people is, is always going to be a challenge. And yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday, uh, Brad Lee and Wes mm-hmm. Watson, they were mm-hmm. talking about, um, feedback, um, from your superiors or from your, from your colleagues. And they were talking about how direct feedback, you no, know, no beating around the bush to straight to the point that's the best thing that you can give somebody. But yep. there's also the other side of that where sometimes, depending upon who you're talking to, you have to be a little bit more diplomatic and yep. a little bit more tactful with how you give that feedback. Totally. And that that's some, that is a dichotomy that I have messed up on both ends before. You can try to be indirect. You can try to do that, that approach. And sometimes the message isn't there and then you got to be direct. And otherwise, there are some times where you shouldn't have been so direct and now you've created you know friction that... Mm-hmm. didn't have to be there. And a lot of it is just, yeah, you got to get better at reading people and understanding where they're coming from. And then also understand that, you know, sometimes people, they, you might've done everything right and it still isn't going to resonate well. And then then you're not going to, you're not going to connect with every person. It's just, it's just part of life. It just happens, you know? And so, so my goal really as a, as a mentor and leader is how do I minimize that percentage is like, if, if this is truly not going to resonate, it's not going to land and it's solely their responsibility. I can deal with that. But if there's things that I could have done differently that I could, it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't, I don't need them all to like me. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would hope that they like me or at least respect the things that I'm trying to do, but I understand that they're probably not going to see it or at least not now they might see it in five years or something. Um, but if there's things that I can do better differently or whatever to help with that, then I, I want to do that. Um, and, and so that's the part that I'm really trying to like learn and grow most in now from a clinician standpoint, it's easier because I know the skill sets that they have, mm-hmm. you know, these are all people who have already graduated graduate school. So it's a, it's a very specific group of people. Whereas right. people work in the front desk or other people, the trainers, other people, in our, it's all, we have all different, you know, different. Some people have gone to college some people haven't. Some people have gone to graduate school. Some people haven't, they have this certification, that certification, all different types of it's people. It's more of a melting pot than it is in PT. hundred percent. So, you know, that's the part that I'm still, you know, brushing up on so to speak but uh, uh you know it's been it's been a great a great great learning experience and stuff that i've done well and on in retrospect and also a lot of things that i've made mistakes on um 
but definitely and, and you know me and, and the great thing too is that i have rick me and ricky are in it together like i know he's grown a lot like mm-hmm. He, his leadership style, the way that he handles problems and situations has improved significantly. And he's learned a lot because, um, you know, he did it 40 hours a week for two years before I even, you know, was really here consi- right. more consistently. And, um, and it's great too, because me and him, like we have a big problem or we have this, we want to handle a certain way or whatever that we get to talk about it. We get to bounce ideas mm-hmm. off of and then when things go well we get to say hey we celebrate did a good job. your wins and, and when they go bad we're like hey we fucked that up but uh, you know <laughs> but now we know we, for next now time we know for next time yeah uh-huh. so it's been good good man hey you know what sean this has been a great conversation man. Yeah, man i've really enjoyed it um it's been a pleasure talking to you i know you know we've we've known each other for three years and and although we've gotten to talk here and there you know in workouts or just in passing it always seems like Whenever I see you, it's, you know, you're always in the middle of one thing or you're transitioning from one thing to another thing. And <laughs> there's never really a lot of time um, that you have to, to sit down and talk. And, and th- I've always kind of wanted to, you know, have a conversation with you and just kind of, obviously, I know all this stuff about you. Um, but just to be able to go more deeply into some of these things, it's been really enjoyable. Yeah, it's been great. I appreciate you, you know, having me on. It's always, I mean, I could talk about this kind of stuff. And it's, it's actually nice to have, I mean, like you, you've, you've done a lot of reading and stuff on the, on leadership development. I know you've put yourself in a lot of uncomfortable positions over the last couple of, even since I've known you, which is, it's just great. And it's always nice to be able to look across the table and like you, you get it right. Yeah. Um, cause I think there's less and less people in our society that really get that at this point. Like, I don't know. I'm always reading up on philosophy. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, uh, listen, love listening to Jocko and, and other podcasts and things I'm like currently that. Currently reading um, David Goggins' new book. Uh, uh, which one? Never finished. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I mean it's phenomenal da- so far. David Goggins is a freak. Uh, He's a freak. Have you have you read uh, Thirty Days with a Seal? No. That's so. That book is written by Jesse Itzler, mm-hmm. uh, but that book is what got David Goggins on the map because he talks about in the book he's just referred to as Seal, mm-hmm. but it's later that's how that's it's what confirmed. got him famous. Okay. Yeah, he, oh, he's the one that's it's him, and then he got started getting brought on the podcast, and he yep. wrote his own book, and he blew up into this big thing. But if you want to see, like, because obviously David Goggins is like crazy out super there, super freak, super intense, yeah. yeah. But if you want to see that from a perspective from someone else's perspective because basically in 30 days with a seal uh this guy uh, uh jesse itzler he's a he owns a couple he's a multi-millionaire billionaire guy and uh, entrepreneur but he had already kind of in his life had been successful he had started getting into ultra marathon running and he went to this race it was supposed to be a team race okay and it's a hundred mile so you 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 run for a while then your next teammate comes mm-hmm. david goggins showed up to that race by himself with a fold-out chair and a box of saltine crackers and ran nonstop. He broke every bone in his foot and shat himself running it. And the reason he did it is because he wanted to, in order to qualify for a, a bigger race, um, he had to run, you know, that, that distance. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Itzler saw this guy, saw just saw him doing that and was like, holy shit, I can learn something from him. Mm-hmm. And he literally called him up, cold called him and said, hey, uh, can I, can you, you want to come like live with me? Can you just come train me? Like, just I'll do everything, anything you want me to do for 30 days. And he did this. He, David That's Goggins wild. showed up and what's, it's hilarious because you know, he was having him do like crazy shit. Like you're going to do as many, you're going to do as many pull-ups as you can. Like, sounds would, like David Goggins. <laughs> he would do pull make him do pull-ups and push-ups and stuff in between meetings. And it, he would make him run at four in the morning and crazy, crazy stuff. So it, it's a, it's not as like, 
it's not through the lens of David Goggins, mm-hmm. but it's it's funny and it's a it gives really good insight into David Goggins as a person before he was became who he is. You yeah, know, exactly. now doing book tours and podcasts and all that yeah, stuff. So but, I highly recommend it after that after you finish the one you're on now. I know so. you and I could sit down and we could talk <laughs> yeah. we could talk books and we could talk leadership and personal development. Maybe maybe some other day we yeah. can sit down and do that. Part but two. where can uh, where can people find you on social media? I know you're pretty big on social media. You try to you know you try to tweet and you know you're posting on reels on instagram where can people find you me and my my five thousand uh, followers you know uh, <laughs> it's more than yeah, my yeah. 1500 <laughs> so okay. you're doing better <laughs> uh, it's just uh, dr sean m harris okay that's uh, my tag so in a yeah, uh, you know, the email to the gym is info at risegymtx.com. If anybody has any questions, um, I respond to that email. So, yeah, happy to uh, give you a tour of the gym. Or if you have other things you want to talk about, you know, injury stuff or exercise stuff, I'm always open to And for questions. those of you guys in the Houston area, I know we've got listeners kind of from all over the place. But for those of you in the Houston area, Rise Gym is located on the northwest side of the city, um, out in the, the Tomball area. Um, and so Sean's the owner. Um, Ricky is the, the general manager. Uh, director of operations, I yep. think that's his title. Um, and Sean also now has built out an office uh, or a uh, a clinician or a, a little room, little room yep. um, that he's doing work out of um, for his PT. So definitely come check it out. Um, I've been training here since they opened three years ago, and it's 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 a great gym. It's a great community. Changed it's, a lot since it's then. It's really <laughs> built up a lot. I remember when you guys had four pieces <laughs> yeah. of equipment in this whole big space. You got couldn't four get, machines. Get dumbbells, and it yeah, was, it was a it was a mess. But yep. Yeah, man, I've really appreciated uh, having you on. This has been a great conversation. Um, and guys, as always, you know, if you found value in the podcast, um, if, if you learned something new, um, Sean's great with perspective. So if you gain a new perspective, please go ahead and share the show. You know, I do this because I want to help you guys out. And uh, I want to start having on more guests like Sean. Um, I really, me personally, I, I learned a lot just through this conversation. And so I hope you guys did as well. Um, so feel free to, to you know, share the show. Um, please leave me a five-star rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts if that's where you happen to be listening and, and go give Sean a follow. Um, he's always, you know, dumping good good uh, PT knowledge and, and, you know, sometimes he does funny reels and just kind of <laughs> like makes people laugh. And uh, But yeah, man, this has been great. So I really appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. Yeah. And guys, that does it for episode 12 of the Set the Bar podcast. I'll see you all next time.